This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here. And today on the show, I got the chance to sit down with Joanna Pinkerton, CEO and president of CODA. If you're like me, then going into this episode, when you hear CODA, you think of buses. But there's a whole lot more Joanna and her team have going on. And early on in the show, we talk about how Joanna made human engineering and design a big factor in her early days with CODA. Human engineering is more human-centered design. So you're looking at people and outcomes. And instead of constraining yourself with how it was done before, you look at the problem statement and how do I get to a solution, which means I'm going to look at everything. Particularly in transportation, a lot of our systems are not designed currently around people. They mm-hmm. prioritize wheels and speed. And so we now have some data that says, wow, that maybe isn't working quite right. And it doesn't support safety, mm-hmm. doesn't support healthy lifestyles, and it's not doing a very good job supporting the economy. So it's just looking at things through a totally different lens, starting with the brainstorming process all the way through picking you know, final designs and maybe re-engineering things. Later, we talk about some of the future of transit here in Columbus as we continue to grow and add over a million people to the city's population. So I'm gonna ask you to imagine long alternative fuel powered articulated vehicles that are almost as long as a train, but there's not gonna be steel embedded in the asphalt. They're high speed and they are fed by systems. So you can walk there, you can take a scooter to get there, maybe you drive, or microtransit. We now operate microtransit in central Ohio and it's called Coda Plus, but it's on-demand microtransit service in three neighborhoods, Westerville, Grove City, and Southside Columbus. You tap the app just like you do Uber mm-hmm. and Coda comes and picks you up and can take you to fixed route. So think of this whole system feeding a higher capacity system. We wrap up talking about what Joanna hopes her legacy ends up being once she wraps up her time at Coda. I hope that people understand how much I care about people and that I helped them find their power, their inner power to be a solutions-oriented thinker. Mm-hmm. We have a lot to do in this community. The growth is great, but we know with growth comes challenges. If I can leave there someday with employees thinking, I'm still empowered to think this way, I can find a solution. For them to acknowledge that we need to do things better, that's really important. I really enjoyed my time with Joanna. And as always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode. That's it for me. Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is your co-host, Mike, here. I'm flying solo today. Josh is out in Colorado. So it's always tough trying to figure out what to tell you guys about when uh, I am the only person here chatting into the mic on the intro. But today, so the Ohio Supreme Court just sent back the redistricting lines that the Senate has sent to them and said that they were in violation of the constitutional rules against gerrymandering. So that's interesting and fun. I'm not going to make comments either way politically, but I think everyone can agree gerrymandering is bad. So hopefully they come back with a better drawn district map the next time around. By the way, this is the second time that's happened. So third time, third time, maybe the third time as our guest is correcting me. So looking forward to having our guest on the show today. Really excited to be talking with Joanna Pinkerton. And Joanna is the president and CEO of CODA, the Central Ohio Transit Authority. And when many of us think of CODA, I'm sure you leap to the city's bus system first, those blue buses driving everybody around everywhere. But CODA is responsible for far more than that. Since joining the CODA team in 2018, Joanna has focused on driving innovation and revamping options for mobility for people across Columbus. And she and her team were recognized with the 2022 Spirit of Columbus Award in recognition of everything the CODA team did to maintain transit while keeping people safe throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And before joining CODA, 
Joanna served in various roles in the transportation space, including COO for Transportation Research Center Incorporated and co-director of the Honda Ohio State Partnership. She's also a licensed professional engineer, and we're really excited to have her on the show today to talk more about Coda and where she's leading Columbus's transit system into the future. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Joanna. Thank you for the invitation, Mike. It's really good to be here. Yeah, excited to have you here and learn a little more about Coda. Frankly, it's one of those parts of the city that I've always kind of just been, oh yeah, there's the buses, and haven't had a chance to learn too much more about. So I'm really curious to learn more about Coda today and more about your story. So typically one of the first places we like to start is just get a little background on yourself, your story. So, you know, as far back as have you always lived in Columbus? Well, that's a great question. So I'm from central Ohio, mm-hmm. more Southern Ohio. My family's Appalachian, but Columbus is the cultural home for central Ohio and a good portion of Appalachia. I don't think many people think about it that way, but if you have a long commute, like I had most of my early years, when we go places, we say Columbus, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what people know. Born and raised in central Ohio, have lived in a few different places, but Columbus is my home. Yeah. And so when you first started out on your journey, did you always imagine getting into transportation? (laughs) I love this question because more than once I've had the response that, you know, no nine-year-old girl says, when I grow up, I want to be a transit CEO. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. I would say that applies to transportation in general. I'm a civil engineer by training. Was very fortunate to go to a great school, Ohio Northern University. It's really rigorous Mm -hmm. and you take all of the disciplines. So like I actually did electrical engineering classes. And so you get to see all of the disciplines. Then as my career progressed, a lot of mentors and guidance. It seemed like I was always ending up, it started in construction and then maturated towards kind of this public infrastructure. So like water, sewer, roads, bridges, transit, and then mobility has this little concept to it that a lot of people don't think about, which Mm -hmm. is the human engineering side. And we take mobility for granted. And my philosophy on that is if you can't move, you can't live. So it's the ultimate engineering problem or Mm -hmm. problem statement. So I'd say the last 15 years in particular have been focused on mobility and transportation. For those of us who aren't in engineering or the civic space or anything like that, when you say human engineering, what exactly do you mean by human engineering? So human engineering is more human-centered design. So you're a software guy Mm -hmm. and startup world. You understand that you're looking at people and outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. And instead of constraining yourself with how it was done before or how we've always done it or what the formulas say have to be done, you look at the problem statement and how do I get to a solution, which means I'm going to look at everything. So particularly in transportation, a lot of our systems are not designed currently around people. They Mm -hmm. prioritize wheels and speed. And so we now have some data that says, wow, that maybe isn't working quite right. And it doesn't support safety, Mm -hmm. doesn't support healthy lifestyles, and it's not doing a very good job supporting the economy. So it's just looking at things through a totally different lens, starting with the brainstorming process all the way through picking, you know, final designs and maybe re-engineering things. From a software perspective, right, you might be talking when you say human engineering, you might think of like UX, right, Mm -hmm. which is user experience and how they actually interact with the solution you're providing them. Right. Whereas like example being buses. Right. Mm -hmm. I imagine that for some people, buses are great and really, really useful tool. But Mm -hmm. I imagine also if you're, say, in a wheelchair that a bus would be not a super easy tool to use. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? That's a great example. It certainly has the potential to, Mm -hmm. you know, marginalize someone who has a different ability than you or I. So when you talk about UX and that user experience, I'm thinking back to about 10 years ago when I was working with the automotive industry, not only with the Honda partnership, but then at TRC, which every major manufacturer across the globe works there and HMI, human a machine interface was the big issue for them because mm-hmm. we all have this little device in our hand or our pocket and we expect this experience 
experience, instantaneous, intuitive, easy. And then we had these clunky old cars or maybe a clunky old bus. This is like pre-scooter days, okay? And they were losing sales because people were like, wait a minute, I expect everything in my life to be this great and easy. So if I'm a person who relies on a wheelchair, this system needs to have certain attributes. And I can assure you something designed 10 years ago doesn't take someone into consideration. I'm really proud that our fleet and 100% of our fixed route fleet, so those are the big buses you mm-hmm. see on the street, and then 100% of our mainstream fleet are ADA accessible. They actually have special ramps that come down automated. Our operators are well-trained and the person, once they're in place, is also secured. They have their own special seatbelt. So that's a pretty cool feature of our system. We in Central Ohio take pride in the fact that we have what's called a state of good repair. We're in better shape than most. You might go to other cities and you see their vehicles or systems and they may not have those accommodations yet. Mm -hmm. And that's all about resources, right? Our board of directors, our city, our community expects things to be nice. So we invest very heavy on our vehicle technology and make sure that everything's up to snuff so that everyone's accommodated. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, but I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. So let's take a step back. How did you end up joining the team at Coda? (laughs) I think I was told to take the job. Told to take the job. (laughs) Am I allowed to say that? Um, So, you know, I had this great gig at Ohio State as a chief operating officer and then running the test track. And I'll tell you what, like, working on early stage development of stuff you haven't even seen that's going to be on the road maybe in 10 years. A lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Friends with and care about this community. And there was just a lot of talk about mobility. And you may remember smart mobility and a lot Mm -hmm. of these concepts and even federal funding beginning to come out. And people were like, you know, we've really got to go next level. Had a conversation with the board of trustees and a lot of community leaders and took the leap really glad I took the leap, but it was a leap of faith, right? I had never been a transit CEO, Mm -hmm. was not necessarily welcomed into the industry at first. Glad to report that that has changed. And then of course, my friends in automotive are like, what are you doing? And then my friends from my construction days are like, what the heck are you doing? Right. So it just felt like the right place where I can invest my talents because I care about people Mm -hmm. and outcomes. I care about our community and we have to have the right type of services and we have to be ready for the next generation of what's coming. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Columbus, right, like one of the biggest things that I think about constantly is how fast we're growing and how much I enjoy that 20 minute, 30 minute drive from anywhere to get anywhere and Mm -hmm. and thinking about how that's going to go away eventually. Hopefully not. But eventually it has to, right? There's going to be changes in the way we get around. And Coda is going to be a big part of that. So you take on this role. And initially, I guess what I'm curious about is you get there, you get in the chair and you're like, okay, what are the biggest challenges facing you in that moment? What are the things that are taking your attention? And you think, oh man, how am I going to solve this? Mm-hmm. So Coda is a really incredible agency because of its people, mm-hmm. more than 1,100 employees. They're all awesome at what they do, trained professionals. I was a little surprised, I think, at the culture as far as maybe lack of vision about what we need to be, what role we play in the community, right? I think everyone understood the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. They were good at it. And we've got trophies and awards that validate that. But them understanding that the world is shifting so rapidly, you know, more than a million people expected to move here. Mm-hmm. We're not going to accommodate a million more people by, you know, doubling or tripling the size of roads. We have to do better with what we've got. We've got to repurpose our infrastructure, really working with people to help them understand that 
we have to adapt what we are doing, not only our operational, like internal processes, Mm -hmm. but we have to think about ourselves different. Through that early year or two, we actually took on a new strategic planning process. And I love what the employees and the community and the board help us. We redefined our vision and our mission. And our vision now is to move every life forward. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice it doesn't say anything about transit. It doesn't say mobility. It doesn't say car. It says move because you have to get places. And I see mobility in two ways. I think of it as physical or digital. So I think maybe recent years more than anything has proven that digital is necessary too. Mm -hmm. So if I can connect to you digitally through some type of interface, or if I can get to you, Mm -hmm. then I've likely created a connection to allow you to do what it is you need to do. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do, but moving your life forward in whatever way you see fit. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to look at it, right? When you think about digital mobility and the ability to connect people outside of just taking them from one place to the next. Mm -hmm. In particular, where you see digital mobility come into play the most, I would guess, is for people in more difficult socioeconomic situations, right? Mm -hmm. Where they might not have the ease of access to the internet and things that people take for granted every day. Before I move on from that topic, I mean, how are you guys going about working that digital mobility angle? What are you guys thinking about? What sort of initiatives do you have on the top of your mind right now for that? We were one of the first transit agencies in the nation for our entire fleet to be Wi-Fi enabled. So once you're on board, Wi-Fi is unlimited. It's free. So really, when you're talking about all the different types of customers you serve, if there is someone who's struggling with data, you know, Mm -hmm. oftentimes people have a smart device. I think you'd be surprised even with our customer polling. How many people have the device? It's the data. Mm-hmm. right? It's the package, it's the access that they need. So that's a really big boost for our customer base. It's also great, you know, if you have a longer commute, you're not white knuckle on the wheels, right? You're sitting someone else's driving and you're being entertained or doing whatever it is you need to do. So we consider ourselves a service provider when it comes to that. Even during the pandemic, it was pretty clear the haves and have nots. And you heard stories of people coming together, making sure kids had devices, but maybe they didn't have Wi-Fi at home. And we actually took our system and took some of our buses and amplified the Wi-Fi signal and created Wi-Fi hotspots in neighborhoods. Wow. And it was so weird, right? Because we didn't know what to do. There's no protocol. And we're like, do we set chairs out for people to sit on? Because you didn't <laughs> want to pack 50 people on a bus. Right. So yeah, we did it. We sat people in chairs and parking lots and let people have shifts. And, and cool. it was really impressive what COSI and the Columbus Metropolitan Library and some of the school systems did where they made material that could be downloaded, right? So as long as the kid or the student had access to download, they can then work on it locally and not have to have access the whole time. So it's just rethinking what role you might play. It's Mm -hmm. not my primary line of business, but I know that somebody is going to need that digital access. Like if you're using us for a healthcare appointment and you're running late, you need that interface to be able to tell the doctors so they don't cancel. I see us playing in both the physical mobility and the digital mobility space. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think that's a really incredible way to use our, because I'm guessing those buses probably, many of the routes were either running empty or with COVID, right? Most people probably didn't want to ride the bus too often. So finding a way to utilize those buses to help the community and provide Wi-Fi where it's needed is a pretty interesting tactic. Jumping back to the growth, right? We mentioned that million people coming here in the near future. What do you see as the biggest challenges that will come with that growth from a transit perspective and from maybe both sides of that coin, the digital and the physical transportation? So let me paint you a picture. And this is just CODA's footprint, but we cover 562 square miles, all of Franklin County, portions of Union, Delaware, Fairfield, and Licking counties, 36 different jurisdictions. And I can assure you that all 36 have different mayors, different councils, different philosophies. We're working on a system Transit's about, uh, we're about to hit our 50th anniversary as CODA. And then, of course, before that, you had streetcars and then horse and buggy. But we're all 
moving, walking, driving, transiting on a system that was built by our grandparents and their parents. Mm -hmm. So what I see is a public infrastructure investment. So this generational moment, our grandparents did a great job. It has served certain sectors really well. It also had some legacies where we intentionally cut off neighborhoods and said, you're not as important. I'm going to run it through your neighborhood and started this process of inequity with some neighborhoods not being able to you know, have generational wealth accumulation. Like there's all of these implications of how our system got built. So I think this is a really cool generational opportunity for us to reuse what we have. We've already been looking at how do we repurpose a lot of our major corridors so that we can accommodate a million more people. I promise you, you know, we're not going to tear down gorgeous buildings like this one and widen the road. It's how do you use it better? You may have heard of the Link Us initiative where we intend to use the work that Morpsey and the cities have done that says if you rebuild and do infill along major corridors, use your land a little better, Mm -hmm. we can make better use of what we've got and save billions in the long term in tax money and generate more revenue. So Link Us is initially five corridors. I do believe it will be more. They're high capacity. So your existing buses, that's a fixed route system. Mm -hmm. That stays, doesn't go anywhere, but you add to it higher capacity. That's like what you would see in Atlanta, Austin, Chicago, and everybody asks the R word, is it gonna be rail? So I'm gonna ask you to imagine long alternative fuel powered articulated vehicles that are almost as long as a train, but there's not going to be steel embedded in the asphalt. Mm -hmm. They're digitally connected. They're high speed and they are fed by system. So you can walk there. You can take a scooter to get there. Maybe you took fixed route from a neighborhood to get there. Maybe you drove park and ride type thing because you live in the outer line communities or microtransit. We now operate microtransit in central Ohio. We were the first in the nation to do that in-house. I'd like to say in-house because my friends in LA and Chicago figured it out before us, but they outsourced it. (laughs) And it's called Coda Plus, but it's on-demand micro transit service in three neighborhoods, Westerville, Grove City, and Southside Columbus. You tap the app just like you do Uber Mm -hmm. and Coda comes and picks you up and can take you to fixed route at no cost, or it could be point to point. Like, hey, I need to go to the grocery and then I need to go back home. And maybe you don't have transit in your neighborhood. So think of this whole system of vehicles or pedestrians or bikes feeding a higher capacity system. Yeah. So it's almost basically, you know, we've got the higher capacity system, if I understand correctly, right? The higher capacity system is some of those fixed points where you can drop people off and kind of bring people almost like (laughs) I'm was a biology major in college, so I'm going to use human anatomy as an example here, okay. but almost like capillaries bringing blood back from the smaller areas in your hands to the main arteries so it can travel back. That's a great analogy because you're not going to put high capacity, big, huge transit vehicles in every neighborhood, right? right? So building out these corridors is really important. The initial design is actually underway for three of the five corridors. We're going to rely very heavily on the federal government for grants to help fund this. Mm -hmm. You may have heard about the potential of a local sales tax initiative. Our board has chosen not to pursue that this fall, Mm -hmm. but it will be coming soon. And that's where the community really gets to decide how to invest their money. But we've done a lot of work with those 36 communities over the last four years, identifying every single mobility gap. And I'm not even going to tell you how many miles of missing sidewalk there are across (laughs) this county. But that makes me really excited that, you know, we could maybe build a sidewalk in a neighborhood and then that allows someone to safely bike with their kid or walk safely to get to a transit access point or maybe to get to a shared vehicle. 
Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, grows a highly adaptive workforce, and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. Other than that, what other initiatives you guys have going on right now, like outside of just that overall big picture, what are the things you're excited about? I think some samples of recent grants that we've won, our team has landed more federal grants in the four years that I've been there than we have in the history of the organization. I have a business background. I'm Mm -hmm. big on ROI. What are we getting out of this? And um, the, gosh, it has a weird acronym. You know, the feds always have like these They do love their acronyms. Yeah, it's Integrated Mobility Innovation. So we call it IMI. But what was cool about it is it's funding that allows us to spend on software, which is not typical. Usually Mm -hmm. I have to spend money on a bus or a vehicle. So we're developing a 13-county traffic management observation system with artificial intelligence. And if that sounds scary to people listening, we are not spying on you, I promise. It's all anonymized. But for the geeks in the world who understand transportation and public infrastructure, there's all these like formulas that go into like figuring out how traffic works. Well, those are all based on history. And we're trying to figure out what's going on right now, like cell phone data, credit card data, tweets. And so it's been done in one other place in Las Vegas, but it did not include transit. So here it's going to include transit. And it allows us to understand where congestion is happening, where an accident's happening. Most importantly, where an accident might happen so you could prevent it Mm -hmm. or you can change response times and then gain efficiencies. Like by studying the vehicles in central Ohio, we found out that another transit agency is actually transporting patients to Columbus, right? At their cost, their dime. It's a rural county. They don't have as much resources as we do. Mm -hmm. So why don't we provide that trip, right? right? These are insights that IMI grant is helping us figure out that can really change and make us more efficient and help our neighboring counties be more efficient. So really leveraging data in order to make better decisions. Well, it's really about the insights and the analytics, right? What you do with the data, Mm because it's out there. (laughs) Yeah. And the analytics is the hardest part, right? I mean, there's so many data analytics tools out there in the world that mm-hmm. try and draw connections. And then, you know, how do you identify whether there's actually a correlation or a causation based on the data That's and right. making good decisions? So very challenging. But, you know, we mentioned earlier, we talked a little bit about some of the things you guys were doing during COVID, but your team was awarded the 2022 Spirit of Columbus Award, which I'm sure you're very proud of. But I, I was curious, can you talk to us a little more about and what that process was like, what stood out from your team and how you guys <laughs> ended up being awarded that prestigious award? I don't really want to re... I don't really want to... Um, you don't want to rehash that? I don't want to rehash 2020. Uh, No, I'm just, I I think what's hard for all of us to remember, because maybe we don't want to remember, Mm -hmm. is the chaos, lack of information, lack of data, misinformation. So there was no rules. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a CEO or any executive having to make tough decisions with no information, I talked to the team a lot about, we're going to make decisions with limited information and we're going to do it. And then if it doesn't work, then we're going to try something else. Choosing not to do something is a choice. So we were committed early on to stay open. I mean, there were transit agencies who shut down. Mm -hmm. So we decided we were going to stay open. And then, of course, 
you know, the pathology was not clear. We were, I believe, the first in the nation to mandate masks. So, wow, right? I know. Like, how boy, horrible. Right. But what was interesting about that conversation is I remember the NAACP calling and saying, you know, we're concerned about this mask mandate you're about to do. So this is April. This is like days later. And I was Mm -hmm. like, well, walk me through that. What does that mean to you from an equity standpoint? And they were very generous with their time and helped us think about how someone might feel about being told to mask up. Mm -hmm. So then we worked with police departments and found really generous donors, a lot of community members. People were just looking for ways to help. They were Mm -hmm. stuck at home and they were making masks. Um, Rogue, like tore up t-shirts and helped make masks for us, for our operators. The police officers actually distributed them to people at a transit stop saying, hey, when the transit system comes, you're going to need this. So that we turned it into an opportunity to engage as opposed to this punitive Mm -hmm. point of contention with the operator and the customer, right? So thinking about the customer experience. So masks, the one thing that was pretty cool, we also coded our entire fleet with an Aegis antimicrobial system. I think we might've been the first to do that, but it's used in hospitals, it's used in restaurants. And it's like, well, can we use it on our fleet? So um, I think that gave people a sense of comfort. We also changed our ventilation for air exchange to change every minute. We now, the board, knock on wood, next week will approve me buying permanent UV lighting and sanitization equipment that actually goes inside the HVAC. Mm, So I'm just reassuring customers that if you're on here, you're safe and we're doing the best we can. And I think you had Brian Ross on here recently with Experience Columbus. That means like a visionary. He like pursued this GBAC, the accreditation, Mm -hmm. the global bio-risk accreditation. And he called and said, hey, would you guys sign up and follow the protocol? And we were like, absolutely. So, you know, the stadiums are safe, the buses are safe. Reassuring people because a lot of people still had to move. You know, frontline employees, hourly wage employees, they still had to get places, you know, delivery people. While everybody else was, you know, cozied up at home, stressed out, drinking wine, we really made sure that we preserved a certain amount of service for customers. Now, the challenge with focusing on your external customer is your internal customer, right? The operators, the mechanics, Mm -hmm. people who didn't get to go home. So helping them mask up, rotating schedules to give them time off to make sure that they were at home more days than now that meant we cut service back a little bit in the fall of 2020 but it felt like the right thing to do for our operators and for our mechanics yeah and more than likely there was also a decline in demand for service so hopefully that didn't impact things too much there was a decline in demand what's interesting about that we also made a difficult decision to limit capacity to 20 people at Mm -hmm. the time when you can fit up to 45 to 50 people so we literally were coming up with an on-demand system with our heavy duty vehicles because passenger 22 we didn't want to leave them stranded at the curb and so we came up with this kind of manual system which led to us actually developing some software with our on-demand micro transit i've been talking about we've actually adapted it to our high capacity buses and we're now running the only high capacity on demand fixed route fleet in the nation. Yeah. So if I'm at the bus stop, I can come in and say, hey, I'm here. Yeah. I need a pickup. And we only have it. So it's in Northeast Franklin County. Kind of think of the unincorporated areas around like Gahanna, the airport, Mm -hmm. kind of that Northeast. There's a lot of hourly wage manufacturing type jobs, second shift. And what we noticed is the small fleet wasn't big enough to accommodate it. But there's also not enough people to warrant having high capacity transit all the time. So that on demand button that you're referencing on your phone, like 20 people were doing it at the same time. So we're like, let's just adapt this to the larger vehicles. That's exciting. And I think it'll be interesting to see how technology like that makes its way into our system going forward. Yeah. I just wish I had a patent for it. Right, right. Patents (laughs) would be nice. Uh, But, uh, you know, as you look ahead and you think about kind of what's going on in the future, what do you hope your legacy is as a (laughs) CODA? I hope that people understand how much I care about 
people and that I helped them find their power, their inner power to be a solutions oriented thinker. Mm -hmm. We have a lot to do in this community. The growth is great, but we know with growth comes challenges. If I can leave there someday with employees thinking, I'm still empowered to think this way, I can find a solution or even take a step back back to that kind of human-oriented design process, for them to acknowledge that we need to do things better. That's really important. Joanne, I could tell just talking to you that you've got a lot of passion for this, and I appreciate that answer. So I think that's a good place to kind of head towards some of our last questions here on the show. The first one being, do you have any advice for our listeners, a lot of whom are younger professionals? I say a lot of whom. I know there are people out there that are going to come and be like, Mike, you always say this, but I'm not in this group. So, okay, trigger warning, generalizations incoming. (laughs) 25 to 35 young professionals Mm -hmm. in the Columbus area. You have any advice for them? Well, I sure do. I'm going to add to that. I did a little sleuthing on okay. your audience base as well. And if I understand correctly, it might be maybe like 70 or so percent male. Yes, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Um, correct. So I think the younger generation is so cool. I love it when people call me a young professional because I am not. You can see my gray hair. <laughs> they need to take all of this energy and passion and insights that they have because I think they're just brilliant thinkers. Find a mentor or find a place where you think you can apply those skills and learn more about the operations. I've been on the operations side of the house across all kinds of industries. There is a massive kind of sucking sound as people retire and leave the workforce. And we're going to need them to like take these brilliant ideas and their capabilities and like institutionalize them into agencies and companies. Like, I really hope that they'll get passionate about being involved in their organizations. And for the men, I also want to say this, become an ally to women. I still am amazed at how often I am the only woman in the room this many years later. And it's cool. Like, I'm glad that things are diversifying. Be an ally to people like me, to a woman. Most of my mentors in my early career, of course, in engineering were men. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for them. Be an ally to people of color and speak up. If you walk into an all-white, all-male room, walk out and, you know, bring an intern in, bring someone else in. We have that practice at CODA. They know my rule. If I walk into a room that looks like that, I'm like, where's the diversity of thought and experience? So I challenge my male friends to think like that because, you know, they don't have to think about that. Like your place Mm -hmm. in the room is already kind of guaranteed. It's a good thought to have. And I think it leads well into our last question of the show, which is centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. So without telling you too much about how I feel about that or why I think it ties into what you just said, (laughs) what do you think of when you hear it? You know what? (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't say this. I've been uncomfortable my whole life. I honestly don't feel like I fit in anywhere. You know, a child of Appalachia saying I want to go to, you know, this school. And I was told, no, you can't do that. I remember wanting to be a fighter pilot after watching Top Gun and then found out that women couldn't be fighter pilots. (laughs) Always the only girl in a calculus class or engineering class. It's a great way to live and grow. Like you get to choose to continue to grow throughout your life Mm -hmm. or you get to choose to, you know, just stay within a mold that others expect you to be. And I've had a lot of fun. It's not always easy and it does make me uncomfortable at times. uh, But I think that's a really great mantra of yours as far as living uncomfortably. If you stay open to things, you never know. You might become the next CEO of a transit agency. (laughs) I think that is a great answer, Joanna. And thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate you telling your story, talking with me here on the show. It was nice to meet you. Thank you. Yeah. And Conquerors, thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed that episode or if you want to learn more about Coda, go ahead and check out their website, which is... Coda.com. Coda.com. Nice and easy. (laughs) And again, thanks so much for tuning in. If you want to hear more interviews just like it, go ahead, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you are listening on. And we appreciate all your support. We'll talk to you next week.